The Money Podcast with your hosts, Justin Harrison and David Bester. Money, 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 money. Let's talk about money. Welcome back to season five of The Money Podcast. Davi, it's hard to believe that we're into the fifth season of this amazing journey into educating and inspiring South Africans around money. And boy, do we have an exciting season lined up. We've got the titans of South African industry in this podcast in this season, and we're talking about their personal wealth journeys. And to start with today, we've got none other than the iconic Grace Harding, CEO of Ocean Basket, trailblazer, honest to the core collaborator who is deeply rooted in South African business and values. Grace, welcome to the Money Podcast. Thank you. So Grace, I'm going to jump straight into the questions. You obviously know that we're deeply passionate about educating people in South Africa about money. There has never been a more important time in South Africa's history than to inspire people, to uplift people, and to give people advice from the heart. So for someone who's never met you, never heard of you, which would be almost impossible, how would you sum up your career and what has been your single most important career lesson that you've learned to date? My career started on the streets of Johannesburg in the 70s, late 70s, when I was about 15 years old and I started working in my father's general trading store in Troy Street. We sold everything from sunray pleated skirts to paraffin, sunlight soap, matches. So my career started on the shop floor and I'm still on the shop floor. I went into fashion retail Spent many years with the Edgars Group, had my own business for 15 years where I specialized in people engagement and leadership, and then landed up consulting to Ocean Basket and the incredible founder, and I just never left. So I'm just still here. So that's a very, very brief summary. And in between all of that, I did a little bit of studying at the Wits Technicon, and that's it. I'm a street girl. And on your way up, I mean, what is what has been the one lesson that you could take? If you could look back on your career, I mean, it's been a it's been a long career with lots of winding, twisting turns. What is the one lesson if you mm. could look back and say, this is the one thing that I'd like to pass down to my grandkids as a lesson in terms of your career? Put others before you, give a shit and always keep your promises. It's that simple. I think in this day and age, of course, we need brains we need robotics, we need all sorts of things. Mm. If you're not a nice person, and if you don't put others first, and if you up your own ass, I don't think that you're going to last because the most important thing today is the human skill because so many of our other skills are able to be better executed by AI or robots. I mean, we even have uh, robots delivering food in restaurants. So the only thing we have to leverage is our human connection, making other people's lives easier and really caring. You you got to care. It's not a twee thing. You got to care. I absolutely agree. I think that's great advice. You know, a lot of people are worried, Mm. obviously, because of AI and robotics and what's going on. A lot of people are worried that they might lose their job. So I think that is, it's a great thing that you said right there. Now, Mm. I want to go back to that street girl thing you were talking about, right? So you said you're a street girl, you worked in your dad's shop. But when it comes to money and wealth, did you always focus on this? And what was your earliest memory of wanting to create wealth? So first of all, I don't know why you think I've wanted to create wealth. It's so interesting. I mean, I have this title of being a CEO, 
I'm not the CEO of a big bank, so uh, our income is a little bit less. I think what we make in a year, some banks make in an hour. So my objective has never been to create wealth. And I know I sound strange, but I just want to have enough to be able to give my family what they need, to be able to support the extended family I have and all the other people who I've gathered along the years and to be able to pay for experiences. The thing I love to spend money on is experiences. So if you had to look at my net wealth thing, like you look in, on the interweb, you will be very, very surprised because it's not gazillions. And I never woke up and said, I want to create wealth. I grew up in a very financially unstable home. We often did not have money. Um, at the age of 18, I had to ward off sheriff of the courts who were coming to fetch TVs and couches and things. So I learned negotiation skills. But I think the reason that I love Ocean Basket so much is that my values and the values of the founder are aligned, and that is to strive for the dream and the success will follow. So am I going to be okay in my old age? I think so. Um, do I worry about it? No, because I know I will always be okay. But my relationship with money has been really, really interesting. In fact, I probably have an unhealthy relationship with money because I never believe I quite deserve any bonus that comes my way um, because I never feel that I've done enough. So that's another story for another day. But um, yeah, I'm a sharer. I've shared, I've often shared my bonuses, even though people get a bonus. I will often say thank you to a colleague and give him or her some of my own money. And it's okay, you know. Um, I don't need anything else. I've got nice clothes, nice food. I live in a house. I have a car. I don't have debt, thank goodness. I get to travel. So I'm okay. You know, so Grace, as long as you can be comfortable, you can enjoy your life, you do what you love doing, then you are happy, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but you mentioned something there. You mentioned when you were 18 years old, you had people coming, um, wanting to take stuff from the house, right? Would you say that was the moment where you decided, well, I don't want to be in this situation, so I'm going to learn negotiation skills, or I want something more? Hmm. I don't think that you consciously decide. I think, you know, the soup that we are cooked in, we don't consciously absorb the flavors of it. But um, I think in an unconscious way, I have grown up by taking a lot of the good flavors from my parents, which were like less than 10, and working hard to create a new story with my life and my life with my children. But I think there were skills that I just learned. I mean, my mother was very ill. I grew up in, in psychiatric wards. I wasn't in them, I went to visit. But look at what I learned about people. Um, and yeah, I definitely, I mean, I am fiercely determined. I'm not ambitious, but I am so determined. I will do anything to make sure that those around me are okay. And that includes the 10,000 people who work at Ocean Basket. It's a huge responsibility. You know, Davi, it's really interesting. And uh, I think a point that Grace made earlier, something that I think a lot of people miss when they look at entrepreneurship, when they look at people at the, at the helm of businesses, is that 
Being in charge of business is often a very selfless act. The realm of entrepreneurship is something that I hold very dear to my heart because what people don't realize, as an entrepreneur, you come very last in the line. Everybody gets paid first. Everybody gets taken care of first. And business is like a baby. It's something you have to look after. It's something you have to cherish. It's You're responsible for other people's families. And it really is a selfless act. And it's very interesting to me to hear you talk about your relationship with money and how money has never really been the goal. You know, it's been the same for diving out, something we talk about often, is that money is merely a way to keep measure of things. And, and we understand that this is an essential resource and a tool for getting things done. But at the end of the day, really, if that is going to be the only yardstick in life, it's going to be a pretty empty life. And so, you know, I think it's important to understand that there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. And, you know, being rich is really the things you can see, feel and touch, the shiny things, the cars, the material wealth. And then there's wealth and wealth is measured in more than just money. And it's something you've been talking about. You know, it's the experiences you can gain. It's traveling. It's it's the interactions with people. It's the relationships with people. And I think that's something I've got from you in, in, in following you and, and following your content that you put out. I've been watching your, your collaborations with other restaurateurs and the things that you're doing. And I can see there's, there's a part of you that's deeply rooted in collaboration. And I think those things are worth more than money. And in mentioning these things, I want to ask you perhaps a, a more personal question. If you look back on, you know, your life and you look at your relationship with money, what would you say has been your biggest personal mistake when it comes to money? And if you could look at that mistake, what would you say that you've learned from it? I think the, it's not a mistake. Probably the weakness is the relationship I have with money. I think that I've got to find a more middle ground with it. So I've never really like squandered. Have I wasted money? Yes, I've wasted money. But I haven't like squandered millions or anything like that. Do I wish I would have wasted less? Maybe, um, yeah. But the the mistake is more around embracing that I am and I was worth it, and I should have taken more of it. Not to have more, mm-hmm. but to say I am worth it. Mm-hmm. But I've learned that over the years, and you know better than I do that the psychological relationship with money is hell of an interesting. I mean, our founder, the reason that he wants wealth is not to be rich. If you had to see him, he drives a Toyota bucky. Yes, he wears replay clothes. Most of his t-shirts have holes in them. Um, but for him, it's about respect. It's, it's about the family were poor. They came to South Africa in the 1960s, late 50s. And having wealth equals the community now respects my family, my family's name. And that's that psychology. I don't have that psychology. You know, I've got different ones. So that's the mistake. I should, I'm actually worth it. And probably when I start to be asked to speak more formally, and I do get asked to speak every now and then, um, I won't ask what Rassi did because that still makes me feel weird. Um, But But I've gotten better with saying, no, I'm worth it. And I know that whoever asks me to do anything for them, they'll get their money's worth and more. So, Well, I'm sure you wouldn't be having the track record you have if you were not worth it. So I think we disagree a little bit there. But I want to know, what is your best decision when it comes to money, in your personal opinion? And what is is the lesson that you learned from it? 
It can be anything from an investment that you made or something that you spent money on, an experience. What do you think is the best decision you've made there and what did you learn from that thing? One of the best decisions is uh, sending my daughter to study in Cyprus because it's very expensive. But I think it's an investment in her in her holistically, not just education. There's still great universities in South Africa. I've invested some of my money in some American something or other. And I think that that's a good investment. I can't remember the name of it. And the other good decisions is to be frugal. I mean, I drive a Hyundai Creta. It's a very nice car. I don't need more. Um, so I think the decision to choose where I spend my money and to not just want brand names and stuff. Do I have nice clothes? Yes. But I'll wear a pair of jeans that cost 400 rand. And if I have one nice jacket that costs two grand, but I don't, I don't flash money. I don't have jewelry. <laughs> it's not real. Um, so I think the best decision has been, I try to invest the little extras I get at the moment. It's very much focused on my kids final phase of education and then they must go away um, and then I'm going to use my money to learn and to travel. I mean, that is all I want to spend my money on. So again, Grace, I want to press you a bit and I, th I think you probably feel like you're on the uh, psychologist's uh, chaise lounge at the moment, but uh, we're pressing you deeply here on some of these questions. So I have a, a guess that you're probably going to answer that the answer to this question is going to be people, but I don't want you to answer people. I want you to go more personal than this. When your mm. back is really up against the wall, when the shit has really hit the fan, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets Grace Harding going when everything is against you? It's not people. I really, really do believe that I can fix things and I can. I'm resilient. And the thing that gets me out of bed is I want it to be better, whatever it is. I want the food to be nicer. I want, I, I've been accused of being a perfectionist and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. But I am so respectful of people's time and money. And the guest at the moment is under so much pressure. And I really do shit myself every morning. And I think, oh my God, somebody's going to have a bad piece of fish. Um, the other thing that drives me is my responsibility to the shareholders and their families. You know, they're the most amazing people. I never thought that I'd ever be employed again. I'm unemployable. I'm such a rebel and I'm so weird. And the way that they've embraced me and the trust they have in me. I mean, I have no restaurant experience. I don't have a degree. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. You know, so when it comes to like that formal cleverness it's not me and i was taken on board and they believed in me they coached me the founder fats lazaridis and his mother his mother is just incredible so what gets me out of bed in the morning this brand this incredible brand that was born from nothing you know they had no money to go overseas most south african brands besides Nando's, were conceptualized by people traveling overseas and coming back with an idea. Yep. This oak, he had no money, he doesn't have a matric, and he thought one day, why must only rich people eat prawns? Mm. Everybody should be able to have seafood. And that's how it was born. Mm. So, you know, we, we've got this culture of, of course we're capitalists, but like there's a socialist part of us who 
just want people to have a great meal. So the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is I don't want anybody to fail. I don't want my franchisees to lose their money. They're struggling with load shedding. I worry about the staff who've come out of such two years of shit. You know, I've been nominated for some Jewish something award. And the one question they asked is, what was the turnover of your company in 2020? <laughs> and I had to laugh. <laughs> I said, I said, I think 20 rand. So, you know, with all these things, and it, yes, of course, it's people, but it's not people only. It's about success. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I will not allow failure to enter my life or the life of my environment. And I'm not talking about little failures. I'm failing and tripping over myself every day. I've got my foot leg, my whole leg in my mouth most of the time. But to to hold this brand together, sure, that gets me up every morning. I love yeah, it. look, thanks to the founder for that one. Uh, I remember my first time when I overindulged in prawns was actually at an ocean basket. My brother was working there. I was 17 years old. There was an all-you-can-eat. And let me tell you, that experience was weird the next day. <laughs> Listen, I was, in, I was in London last week, and uh, there were four guys who came. And between the four of them, they ate 78 prawns. But not, you know, first they ordered... 24, then they ordered, then they ordered, then they ordered. Anyway, I don't know how they felt the next day, but yeah, it's, it's I wonderful. Yeah. I feel sorry for them. Anyway, <laughs> Grace, so you mentioned skill sets a few times. You mentioned the founder, you mentioned yourself. What do you think, in your personal opinion, is the best kind of skill set a person can learn when it comes to having success later down in their lives? Oh, gosh. You know, it, like everything in life, you need a variety of skill sets. And there's the soft skills and the technical skills. And I hate the word soft because in this day and age, the soft skills have become the hard skills. Mm. But you've got to be skilled. You have to be able to do what you need to do. So depending on the career you choose, you've got to build the skills. So in my career, the skills I had to build is I had to strengthen my financial acumen skills. I had to strengthen my ability to look at food costs. All of these things that I didn't know. So all of those skills. And then it's the skills that come from your emotional state. Um, I don't know if you know, as money gurus, but at school, especially in primary school, the kids who do badly in maths, most of them have got some emotional problem going on in their lives. And I actually was allowed to give up maths in the then grade nine. Yeah, so I was about 15 or 14. And in those days, you were allowed to give up maths. That was the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. So as an adult, I had to undo my tapes that said, oh, I can't do maths, I can't understand money, I can't, I can't. And I learned that. I went to classes. I went and did courses. I've done online MBAs, the Power MBA, which you guys should Google. They're like the antichrist of MBAs. So you've got to grow whatever muscles you need. It's like everything in life. If you're going to play a sport, you need to build those muscles. And then, like in sport, it's a psychological game. So the skill to be able to listen, to be able to solve problems, to truly be able to integrate information. And I don't think there's enough 
places or things out there that are helping leaders. And that's my mission in life is when I'm finished doing this every day, I'll always be involved in Ocean Basket. But I do want to specialize in developing leaders because it's an unusual set of skills. And you can learn them. I don't believe you are born a leader. You really, really can learn. And I believe that leaders should teach other leaders. I'm not a fan of going on courses with people who have never led before and then they're running leadership courses. That's weird for me. It's like Rassi must have played rugby to coach rugby. And many times you, you can go to universities and places like that and you're being taught leadership by someone who's never led more than three people. So That's kind of how I felt uh, being taught economics uh, by economics professors. Same sort of argument. Um, yeah. And I think uh, we definitely agree on that. I want to take this conversation a little bit closer to home again. You mentioned your family's relationship with money. There was obviously some difficult times there, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Now, obviously, you've found some success in your career. You've found a little bit of success with money, and you, you found your way in life. Now, I'm interested in the dynamics there because this is something that a lot of people struggle with in life it's it's something that a lot of people battle with and you've probably seen this with your own staff especially here in south africa we have a thing called black tax which not a lot of people really know about but if there's one person earning they become responsible for a lot of people in the family and uh, i'm interested to know in your specific situation when it comes to family and friends has your success changed any of the dynamics within those relationships either positively or negatively and are there any personal experiences that you can actually share with us no i don't think so uh, first of all i don't have a whole lot of friends and that's because i'm not a bit i'm actually not a big socialite so i think my job is so people intensive uh, my family yeah not really i don't i have one sister and i've always taken care of her so not really. Um, I don't live the life of a rich person. I think also I'm, I'm quite tough, so I don't do handouts. These are the fights I always have with my founder, Fats, who I think feels guilty that he made it and then so many of the people around him didn't. And every time someone phones him to ask him for money, he's just dishing it out. The other day I said to him, if we had to add up all the money you've dished out to assholes, you probably could have built a school, um, which is obviously what I want, but I don't really want a school school, but just the concept of it. So it hasn't changed any relationship. I've got two friends who I've known for many, many years. And I think from the minute I started working, which is, okay, I was like 14, but let's say formally working, I've never really been rich and I've never I don't live my life any differently now to how I lived it before I was a CEO 10 years ago 20 years ago I live my life the same way I eat the same food I do the same things I'm just lucky that over the years I was able to renovate my house and you know go on holidays and things but no and it that, hasn't and that's changed probably a my relationship 
probably a big part of the the success there because I think what happens when a lot of people get into your position is their lifestyle changes and accordingly mm -hmm. people's expectations and perceptions change and I think yeah. this is one of the things that I think you've been very fortunate with and it, it's one of the things that I find extremely attractive about you as a personality is that you've remained very grounded so you know I think that's something that a lot of people can draw inspiration from on you so congratulations I think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think okay. it's 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 really impressive that you still live the same kind of life you you have always done. You know, like you said, wear the same clothes, eat the same food. But I want to ask you something personally now. So, if you had to lose everything, right, that would be an uncomfortable situation. You have got a daughter in Cyprus studying, like you've mentioned, and there are certain responsibilities that you have that requires money. So let's assume you lose everything, you lose the ocean basket. How would you get it back? I don't know how, but I would. <laughs> um, Maybe that's gee, the answer. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, for, it's such a difficult thing to imagine because if I had to lose it, it would probably mean that I didn't like do something properly. I was like negligent or really stupid. So, um, you know, I'd probably land up really angry with myself and have to go to hospital for a while. Uh, but I've always been a fighter. So, in my mind, I always have plan B, C, and D, and I'm vigilant. I mean, I have 360-degree vision. I probably do work too hard. Another question I was asked with this awards thing is, what do I do? What's my view on work-life balance? And I absolutely hate that question. I hate that question, and I hate talking about women and why women haven't got big jobs and all of that. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would just pick it up. You know, I'm very. Flexible. I can do just about anything. I mean, I would teach, I would smose, I would sell, I would go, I would pick it up. That's what I would do. And I think I always say to the young people I work with, you've got to really be kind to people because you never know when you need them. Yep. And when I left Edgar's in 98, my very first client was the advertising agency who we worked with. And very often... Clients are so like up their own arse, you know, and they don't really treat suppliers that well. Mm. And you must never do that. I think somebody would probably give me a job. I don't know. I hope so. Even though I'm old and I'm a woman and I'm white and, 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 and. I think that first sentence was actually a great answer. I'd get it back. I think it says a lot about the emotional state you have to be mm. in, right? And it speaks to a lot of uh, a lot of the psychology about a lot of people that we talk to that are extremely successful, you know, whether you measure it in monetary terms or whether it's in the way they've approached their lives. There's just mm. this can do attitude. There's a self belief that you can drop that person in a country where they don't speak the language where they don't understand the lay of the land, but they will make a plan. They will smoke, they will mm. barter, they will bargain, they will do what it mm. takes, they will get it done. So we're obviously approaching the, the end of the podcast and we've got two final questions for you. And this is really as a little bit of inspiration for South Africans out there. Like we said, we really are here to inspire South Africans around money. People really need direction at this moment in time. What is your number one piece of financial advice to people? And, and obviously you work with a lot of people who are at the bottom end of the scale in terms of earning, you know, waitrons. Um, if you're giving advice to people around money, what would it be? Well, first of all, the people earning at the bottom of the scale are the ones you should interview. Because you, can you imagine earning seven, eight, nine thousand rand a month? You eat, 
you have transport, you can buy clothes, you put your children through school, you look after three other people. And I think we've got to start getting advice from those people. Because how do they do it? And they do it. I mean, I worked for Sales House. It was a chain that targeted the black market before 94. Yep. And the bad debt of Sales House was in a better state than Edgar's. And that was those were black customers, often illiterate, and they knew how to look after money. So I think you should interview one of those. But the advice is you've got to save. Even if you save 10 rand, I mean, I sit with my colleagues you know, who earn all sorts of different packages and, and we work out how we can save. You've got to save some money and you just got to keep track of the money you spend and you've got to look at yourself. Self-reflection and self-awareness in every form is the most powerful thing that you can do for yourself. You've got to really evaluate. What did I aim to do this month? How did I do it? From a money perspective, from a work perspective, from any other goals that you have. But you've got to save, and whether you earn a million or a thousand, there's no difference. I knew someone who earned triple to what I earned, and today he has nothing because of bad habits. So save your money, keep your brain intact, have some therapy, assess and evaluate the choices that you are making. So, you know, what you just described is basically the basics of money, yet so many people get it wrong. Oh, uh, is it? Oh, good. That's why we've got I got it so right. Many... I get a tick. <laughs> well, that's why we've got so many people in debt in South Africa. You know, you, you got to save, live within your, within your means. I mean, those are the basic building blocks of money. Yet, I don't know if it's the ads or if it's the emotions or the ego, but people like to spend and flash their money, yeah? Well, I'm sure you've done lots of research on the psychology of why people buy consumerism, all of those things. And we know that buying does not create happiness and it is a form of a drug. And we all do a little bit of it. I mean, I love buying lipstick, um, but I used to buy lipstick so many times a month and now I only buy it so many times a year and stuff like that. So it's okay. Don't be hard on yourself. Just take stock and adjust and take stock and adjust. It's like psychological chiropractics. So Grace, I want to ask you a final question here. We have a lot of challenges in South Africa, right? Can you give any final words to our fellow South Africans on how to inspire them? Because obviously you are still sitting in South Africa. We are all facing the challenges. That means yeah. that, I mean, you could probably go and live anywhere if you want, right? And still run the company, still do what you love to do, but yet you are still sitting here. So that means that you must still be positive about South Africa and there must be something that is still keeping you here. I don't know if it's about South Africa or I just don't give up. And I'm not prepared to give up on South Africa and on the people here. So yes, I mean, I even have a British passport. I could go and live somewhere else, but we can't give up. And there's a responsibility. I mean, I can't imagine leaving the nearly 4,000 people who work for Ocean Basket in South Africa and saying, okay, well, it's too hard for me, so I'm going. And I'm really lucky that I'm exposed to many other cultures and countries. But I think, Blind optimism is not healthy. I will not listen to the news. When I received like that YouTube clip of that guy with Ali Cog, I listened to it for about five minutes and that guy is brilliant. And then I switched it off because there's nothing I can do about it. 
and there is so much I can do. So I just don't give up. I will not give up. I will not abandon people. And I'm not running away. I'm not a runawayer. That's just not my character. Grace. And I love the Springboks. Grace, you are an inspirational South African. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you for giving of your time to the podcast and for supporting South Africans, for supporting South Africans. And Ocean Basket is that much better for having you. And I hope that everybody goes and has a meal at Ocean Basket and knows that you're at the helm and uh, goes and enjoys a meal there and realizes the values that's behind it. So thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. No, you guys are too kind. You've been listening to The Money Podcast. To get access to our future episodes, please subscribe to our podcast via your podcast app. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel, Global Money Academy.